That was Risk It All by Gav St. Quan, and you're listening to Yuppie Noir. Okay, and we're back with another episode of Yuppie Noir. This is Kyler. Brandon B. Merch. Diamond Carr. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're joined today by Diamond Carr, who's a good friend of ours, and she'll be uh, speaking to us a little bit about higher education. So uh, look forward to that coming later. But we did want to first start off by acknowledging Memorial Day and thanking all of the veterans that have served and sacrificed their lives or limb for us to have the freedom that we enjoy every day. So uh, hats off to you guys. We really appreciate it. All right, all right. And uh, definitely give a shout out to those um, family members too, everybody who's out there as well. We want to go right into today's topics that we want to discuss. So recently, Morgan Freeman, uh, this past week, has become a topic of discussion. He's been recently accused of a lot of heinous crimes, you know, was it rape? Mostly just uh, just sexual, sexual assault, assault, sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct, you know, and things that kind of make us, at least in my mind, it was reminiscent of, okay, this is kind of how the whole situation with uh, Bill Cosby kind of started out, where it's just rumors and then led to, you know, where, where it is now with that. So, I mean, I really don't know how to feel about this situation anymore. I mean, I don't, it's kind of more so like a he say, she say until things come to perspective, but what do you guys think about the fact that, you know, such an iconic person like Morgan Freeman is being accused of something like this? Well, the first time I heard about it, first I was like, you know, dang, like, again, this is something that is really sort of, you know, rearing its ugly head too often. And first I wanted to just, you know, be cautiously optimistic in terms of, you know, waiting till all of the evidence came out and things like that. Some of the things I was hearing was about just him touching people inappropriately, making lewd comments, things of that nature. And so also the number of victims that came forward definitely um, did not bode well. But still, you know, wanting to hear both sides of the story, I think it's unfair to rush to judgment. But it, it is unfortunate that so many people that we do look up to, you know, in terms of their career and, you know, the other admirable things that they do for their communities are coming out with some allegations against them that are basically not befitting of their character. Um, so I think it's unfortunate. Mm. What about you, Donna? Do you, th- you think it's something kind of like towards the perspective of Kyla? Or? I think when I first heard about it, I just kind of dropped my phone and just almost wanted to ignore it altogether just because I think it's an unfortunate course of events, especially like you said, being that Bill Cosby had just been tried and found convicted. And I didn't really read up on it. I didn't want to hear too much about it. And I had to question myself and think, okay, well, why are you angry? And are you like not believing the victims? Are you victim blaming? Is it because it's Morgan Freeman, a black icon, Bill Cosby, also a black icon, and they they stripped him of all of his honors, but you can't undo the good he has done. That doesn't negate the bad things that he's done. So I just felt myself in just a lot of conflict questioning and wondering what really are you angry for? What's your problem? Right. Um, And how does that fit in this narrative and how we're shaping and looking at these stars and when they're black versus when they're not black. Because then, you know, like the Harvey Weinsteins and all those other cases, had no problem really accepting those. But then mm. when they come for our people, it's like, well, wait a minute, I don't know that that's really true. So, a lot of thoughts. So we're quick, like, I, I can see that. Like, we're quick to really try to go to defend, like, a Morgan Freeman and a Bill Cosby, maybe because they are black icons as far as our whole history goes. And I think it's easy for us to do that. I think we do that with a lot of situations. 
you know, regardless of if it's like sexual in nature or if it's a violent crime, we always kind of wants to kind of say, okay, well, what did he exactly do wrong? You know, instead of, like you said, maybe trying to look at, okay, look at both sides of the story, maybe, and have like a clear, open mind when approaching it, instead of, you know, maybe going, being a little bit more biased. And I think that self-reflection is really important. Um, I think most people don't really do that. You know, they don't check their own biases and where they're coming from. Why am I looking at it this type of way? Or why am I rushing to jump to this sort of judgment? So definitely commend you on saying, you know, all right, why are these feelings coming up and where are they coming from? And sort of what things do I already have, you know, preconceived notions do I have about a person and how does that shape how I look at the world and other people. So I think that's really important for everybody to do, really. Yeah, it's definitely important. It's how, how our world goes around on a daily basis. You know, when you see people on a regular basis, you don't know what they do. You know, you don't know what they've done in the past. So I think it's really good to have more people like you are, like, you know, Diamond here where she is kind of thinking about that as well. But hopefully, you know, it plays out in whoever's favor, I'll say in whoever's favor was considered the victim here, whether that be Morgan Freeman being falsely accused or if it be the actual victims that are coming saying that they have been around when Morgan Freeman has done some of these things that he's being accused of. So justice needs to be served one way or another, and I just hope it works out uh, to the better of uh, both parties here. But moving on, we're going to go over to the music spectrum of it. We're going to talk about Drake dropping his disc on Pusha T. Duppy. <laughs> You know, it was coming a little, it was a little different. You know, I mean, it kind of hit me. To me, it kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even know that there was a beef, but, you know, anybody's thoughts on that? I, I think in? Well, so I think it's good to go over the timeline a little bit here. Okay. So from what I was doing, some research, because I was like, this kind of, I had heard about, you know, some whispers of this in the past, but I didn't really know where it initiated from. So from what I had read, it originally started when Pusha, had beef with Wayne and Baby originally because people were saying that Wayne was sort of jocking Pusha T's style a little bit. You know, back in the Mr. Me Too days, <laughs> uh, I guess Pusha used to wear Bape a lot and Wayne started wearing Bape, etc. They tried to say that Wayne was stealing Pusha's flow, etc., etc. Okay. So then uh, Wayne, he said some disparaging things about Pusha T on Twitter. He said basically... F, Pusha T, and anybody that love him, blah, blah, blah. So then that kind of, you know, lit things off. Mm -hmm. So then Pusha T, he had a couple tracks where he, once the ghostwriting rumors came out about Drake, you know, he had a couple lines in previous songs, you know, basically alluding to his ghostwriting. And then Drake had a song, he had More Life, yes, which yes. Uh, had a song on it called Two Birds, One Stone. And basically that one, he, he kind of was taking shots at anybody if it doesn't apply, let it fly, yes, something like right, that. Right. But it was basically, yo, if these lines apply to you, then it was for you, blah, right, blah, blah. So right. he had some stuff about Kid Cudi in there, almost a, a little bit about his yes. mental health. Yeah. And then he had a line about Pusha T where he said, made a couple chops, now you think you chopo. So mm. chops yeah. are basically a slang term for a drug deal, so a couple minor drug deals, and now you think you El Chapo, who's a very famous, uh, notorious drug lord. So then... Pusha T responds with his new album that just came out called Daytona, which was fire, by the way. Only seven songs, all produced by Kanye West, who's got stuff of his own. But a phenomenal album, in my opinion. But on the last song on the album called Infrared, he has a couple lines for Drake, you know, alluding to his ghostwriting rumors. One of the lines was, it was written like Nas, but it came from Quentin. 
Quentin Miller was the person that did a uh, what ten is it? bands, it was ten, ten bands, bands yeah. and, and wrote a couple other songs or with Drake uh, collaborated with him. So he was saying it was written it was a Nas album. In case y'all yeah. didn't catch that reference, but right. that was tough. So, yeah, that was a good so one. he he had some shots for Drake, and then Drake and Khan responded the same day that. Uh, the Daytona album dropped with a, a Duffy freestyle, mm-hmm. and so on that freestyle, he again was talking about Pusha T. Basically, like you, you really weren't that big drug lord that you was claiming to be, or you didn't do this and didn't do that. And then he also had a couple lines for Kanye West saying, "Father had to stretch his hands out and get it from me." Mm-hmm. So basically, like, hey, I helped Kanye and you out, so I was writing for y'all. So right. if you think I'm not for real with my pen game what do you think about the dude that's making your whole beats for your album exactly so, i'm the one behind him at the end of the day exactly so, so if you don't think my pen nice then you know check your <laughs> check your, check your, your boss sources, yeah. right check your boss because i i really do this so but what did you think brandon i thought it was i thought he had he had a lot of good bars in it i don't think it was hitting like as crazy as like what he was doing like for example i guess we make meek i put that as like his highest like bar for diss tracks certainly but it, I think it was more so just what he was doing after that. Like, he was really active with, with social media on it, too. Like, that's kind of yeah. also wasn't like he was, like, even discreet about it. It right. was just like, I'm putting it out there. Like, look, bro. And I think that's where Drake really wins these debates and these battles is not... The, the music is great, right. but then all of the antics afterwards, like... He sent them an invoice. He sent them an invoice for $100,000. Said for publicity. At the end of the song, if you didn't listen to it, on the W Freestyle, one of the last lines on the song was... I sold basically another 20,000 copies or albums for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to send you an invoice for it. Right. And so Pusha T responded to that link of the Duffy Freestyle saying, send the invoice for the 20,000. So Drake was like, say less. So on Instagram, he posted a picture of an invoice that emailed an invoice to Good Music, Good music for $100,000, which he basically was valuing each album at $5 an album. Right. For twenty thousand, so he was like, "Yo, you owe me a hundred racks for the albums that I sold." Because he basically. said, "I dissed you," and then like, "Yo, I already know you're not gonna sell enough albums, so this is gonna get you even more light <laughs> or, right. or clout now." Basically. You know, so like, <laughs> I just it's think that's, I just think that's crazy to me, like I mean, how you just just the strategy. Yeah, it, yeah. It is and also with me, he had a, what was it, like OVO Fest. He brought yeah, like yeah. pictures out at OVO mm-hmm. Fest and yeah. how he was killing them off of back to back, like. Right. Now this was no back to back. It had no, bar, nothing, it had man. bars that were hitting. Yeah. But it was it just like the quickness of the response. I think one gets him a point, and then the invoice, like the social media strategy after it, is just art of war stuff. It's Sun Tzu. Like this, this he's on another plane. He's playing chess. Everybody else playing chess. Nobody. I don't know. I can't remember anybody major that's done something like that. Like Diamond's over here laughing. <laughs> she's over here. She's over here dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> on everything. Shouts to his social media team because they would be winning him a lot of battles. So, mm-hmm. Did you listen to the Daytona album? I did not get a chance to listen to it personally. I definitely appreciate good music like, wherever it's at, so I'll listen to it. I just haven't got really a chance to sit down and really go through it. Was, was there anything on there that was I like... If you're a fan of bars now, yeah. Pusha T, people always say he raps about cocaine bars. Uh, we heard enough, but his wordplay and just his cleverness, like... He's just, if you're a lyrical rapper or you're a fan of lyrics and lyricism, put your T, you can't go wrong. The beats are hard. Ye really just went off in terms of the production. Awesome album, in my opinion. Uh, definitely worth a listen and definitely worth copping if you're interested in that. Now, did you listen to the other song that Drake just dropped on Saturday? Which one? Uh, I'm Upset. Weak. <laughs> so, like, he had such a role, like, 
social media was buzzing after the whole beef. Yeah. Like, that's when you drop something that's hard. That I'm upset. Uh, it was weak. So, and now it's making me have false hope for the album. Because if that's the single that he's dropping, I don't know. I mean, he had nice for what, nice for what was bubbling. Nice, he has nice that, for what and God's plan is going to be on there. Sure. So. That I'm upset joint was not it. That, that wasn't it. I don't That's think not the one. I think it was more of a statement to follow up, if anything, because the possibly the, because the theme of the song is like people ask me how I am, like, and they think I'm good, but I'm really upset, sure, like, sure. you know what I'm saying? Because like the fact that these no not no names, but these dudes who think they can run with me is really trying to come at me. It's like I'm not top of the class, That's you know fair. what I'm saying? Like, That's fair. I think that was more so what it was. I mean, the song itself wasn't the beat for me. I like it personally. Drake is usually Drake, you know, if you want to say certain things, he's he's got different flows sometimes. So it's okay. It's not like his greatest work, like Kyla said, but it works for me. His Drake uh, album can't flop, bro. It, it can't flop. Because he was talking a lot of mess on that freestyle. So if this joint come on and it don't hit like that, he's going to say, hey, you need to hit Quentin up. Hit whoever <laughs> up because this one ain't the one. Nah, watch this. Any, watch, just watch what happens. Watch any interjection on yeah. of, of that tirade? Any at all? Yeah, yeah, I just wonder about, like, I know there's a whole history and there's black culture references and a lot that goes into hip hop, which, you know, I'm not, I don't follow, I'm not into. But there seems to be a theme of these beats between these artists, and I wonder how much is real and how much is for show mm-hmm. and to boost, like, sales and all these things you guys are talking about. And if it's not, like, if it is real and it's valid, like, we are doing such a detriment to ourselves, shining each other apart from the side. <laughs> no. like, I don't understand. I, I like that take. That's and and that's, a, that's a very good point because, so back in the day, Kanye West and 50 Cent, they had a beef, yeah. quote unquote. And Tupac and Biggie. Right. Yeah. Well, well, that one led to people actually dying. Yeah. But the, the Kanye in, in 50, that was, like, really for promotional purposes. Like, they were, like, amping beef up. And it was really no problems. They was just trying to sell albums. So this one, I don't know if there's really any animus. It seems like it. But like you said, either way, the fact that we have to use this to sell albums and it just, it does put a sort of a light that, you know, there's always infighting, you know. Is it really, is the music really that good if you got to do that to, right, to really get your music out there? I mean, to me personally, I think it's something... Like where it's you know how like ball players sometimes like they talk smack during the game sure. throughout the games, but at the end of the day it's like all right mutual respect. Right. I think that's really what it is. Most of the time nowadays, I mean, like I rarely see anything like you said with like a Biggie or Tupac where somebody actually gets mm-hmm. gets killed or somebody in their group or whatever right. or gets hurt. But it's I think that's more so what it is. Like you said, it's kind of putting a bigger light on, okay, what is the really the quality of music that's being produced nowadays, right. you know, where you need that. And I also think it's for sport, you know? Yeah. Like, when, when people are going at each other like this, I do think it is good for hip-hop in a way because it's just the old days of I'm going at, like, you and I, I think I'm better, you think you're better, let's put it on wax, let's really find out. And then it's just amping it up to another level like when twitter's going crazy and all of these social media sites are getting it really bring shining a bigger light mm-hmm. on hip-hop and just the nature of the sport if somebody said if bron is better than kobe or whatever and then they finally see each other in the game yeah and then they go at it you know that's what you want to see as a competitor right. but i definitely see it from the perspective of you know why do we have to take shots at each other so i can see both sides of it now in a, from a competition standpoint like i don't want to get too involved in this topic but mm-hmm. it's like what do we hold as like a standard? Because like you know, if we were playing ball, you know, go back to basketball, we playing ball or something. You know, somebody play one on one, or my team play your team. It's easy to say, okay, all right, my team won. 
I was kicking on you, whatever the case was. Right. That's it. Put right. it to bed. Mm-hmm. What happens with music? Because I feel like music is like subjective. Right. It's very subjective. It's not like a straight statistics. Yeah. I mean, thing. there's no clear winner unless you like just body somebody. Like, for instance, Drake was clearly the winner of the meat beef. That's clear. There's there's almost no dispute in that. Unless, go ahead. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you sound like you was about to say something. <laughs> I, I would say that one. That one's clear. But for instance, like with the Jay Z when he was beefing with Nas, technically people say that Nas beat him with Ether. But then there's people that say Jay's takeover was actually more surgical in terms of breaking down his career. He said you had a hot album based every like ten years or so. You really not nice like that. You uh, your first album. Uh, came out and it was fire, right. but then everything after that was like trash. So, right. but then Ether, he was just doing like a bunch of name calling, like right. saying like you got DSLs, blah, yeah. blah, like it really wasn't. It was just like name calling. It was like playing a dozens back in the day. So it wasn't like anything that was really backed up by any uh, factual evidence or anything like that. So, right, you right. know that that one could be debatable. So ultimately, there's no real real winner unless it's just a clear knockout. But it both people come to play, then there's, you know, always going to be discussions in the barbershops and on the basketball courts, et cetera, about who won. I think about that show. What's the name of that show that used to be on MTV? <laughs> Your Mama? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, when they used to go back and forth, it's like, okay, here, who's over here, who's over here, you know, but it's like the crowd is everywhere, you know, you got you got listeners from all parts of the world, especially, you know, hip-hop industry now, it's starting to expand itself a little bit more, so, but, you know, we'll see what the other developments happen with that, but, uh, Shout out to Drake. I'm so ecstatic for this album to drop. I want it. I want some new Drake music. I'm getting tired of listening to more life and views again. So we'll see what that hits for. I'm sure it'll be successful, you know, in some way, shape, or form. But um, so we're gonna go into a quick break and we'll come right back with some more yeah. good stuff for y'all. I'm working on I'm upset. Fifty thousand on my head is disrespect. So offended that I had to double check. And we're back with the Yuppie Noir podcast. We're going to jump right back in and we're going to actually get into some uh, career discussions and some uh, higher education with our guest here, Diamond. So Diamond, tell us a little bit about the program that you were in or are in at Lehigh, correct? Yeah. So I'm currently a doctoral student research assistant at Lehigh University in the school psychology program. I just earned my master's. I have four more years left in the program. It's a six-year program commitment. So I wanted to talk about it because... The percentage of minority representation in higher education, particularly advanced degrees and doctoral programs, is literally about 2%. Mm. My school, Lehigh University, is a predominantly white institution. I and my class, so when you go to doctoral programs, the cohorts are very small. There are eight people in my program, three of which are PhD students. I'm the only person of color. My classes, I'm generally about the only person of color. I know a few uh, podcasts ago, you all did an episode where you talked about microaggressions. And I think about when we had interview day just this past cycle. And someone mentioned to me, oh, you need to come to our like dinner or lunch we're having because you're our diversity. Like you represent. And I, when they said it, <laughs> it didn't occur to yeah. me like what was happening. And I thought about it later and I was talking to an aunt and she said, oh, so you're a token. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, that's, I'm a token, really? Um, and I don't think the person meant it that way, yeah. but I also don't think they recognize how ignorant that statement was. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like with all things, higher education is no excuse. I think that exposure is really important. 
and there aren't enough of us represented there. And if I hadn't been exposed in my undergrad to a graduate opportunity, I would not be here now. So I think it was important to introduce the audience to higher education in that capacity and to know, like, yes, I did already have a good amount of debt when I graduated right at university, um, but now I get paid to go to school. Mm -hmm. um, so when I came on uh, to Lehigh, I had I was accepted to another institution. They had offered me about $20,000 as well. But after that, there was no guarantee in terms of funding. Right. So when you go into these institutions and you get these offer letters, uh, sometimes they'll tell you they can't make like any for sure offers like on finances because you have to make your decision about where you want to go before they can make their financial offer because for grant purposes, all of this is funded through grants. That makes, that makes no sense. Um, there is some caution now with our new administration and like cutbacks and with education and them cutting major funding circuits like IES, uh, Institution of Educational Sciences. So things like that are in dispute right now. Um, but I think it's still something you should definitely pursue and consider, especially if you're in like education fields. We need to be trained for these new students coming in. They're coming from traumatic experiences, so trauma-informed care and treatment is very important now in schools. Our force that we're coming up with, uh, we're not ready for. And I think you definitely need more than a bachelor's education. Not to discount bachelor's, but I think you need more of an advanced education, especially in psychological fields. You need an advanced degree if you would like to practice in any capacity. Nobody told me that when I was in school. So all those things I think are just important to them. Of course. What do you think some of the hardest obstacles that you had to overcome or face soon while you're in that PhD program? Or what are some of the tribulations that you've gone through? Confidence and balance. I think balance in terms of... Well, balance is something that you have to face but will never overcome. So there's a lot and they keep adding it on. So for example, every year... So you start off with a course where you, kind of, you go into the schools and you have a case. Right? And you're working with the student. It's just one case. You go on a few hours, maybe in the semester. That's it. The next year you have what's called a practicum experience where you go in a full day for a year. The next, it's two days that you go in. So like they keep adding on. On top of that, we still have three courses that mm -hmm. we take. Um, then you also have to do research because a PhD is a research degree. Mm -hmm any other activities you might want to try to pursue while you're in school. So they add all these layers that you have to try to balance and you want to have a life right. as well, right. right? So something, even my advisor was telling me, like, I still deal with it and I've been in this field 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole family, you know, I've raised children, I've all this, and tried to still have to push out these articles and make all these publications, all these different things. So balance is something you always deal with. Yeah. Confidence, I, for me personally, because I didn't have that research background, I think it's very important because this is such a competitive field in terms of research and everybody's trying to get something new and innovative out, which as a field is actually a bit detrimental because one of the biggest things in research is replicability. So you want to make sure that whatever you produce can be redone with the same integrity and to the same degree that you have initially developed it for. And so feeling like you're giving something, you're contributing something to your society and to your profession and feeling like, yeah, I'm confident about that and I know that there's research to back that, but then this is also in innovative enough to be creative. 
and worthwhile, I think it's very important. And you develop that sort of as you practice and as you learn more. So with all that being said, you know, going through all your experiences now that you've seen it from being years into it, has it met your expectations as far as like what you maybe saw before coming into the program as far as like just your viewpoints and like what challenges you were going to maybe have to go through or has it met that or has it maybe exceeded or, you know, maybe gotten below it or. Yeah, this is by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, so it, it really, no, it really, it really yeah. is. Um, and not that I didn't anticipate that it would be hard, but it is definitely very challenging, but I think that it's very necessary mm-hmm. because I think for you to have earned this title as a doctor in any field to be, it's the highest degree you can earn. It's a very versatile degree. Um, I could go into teaching as a professor, which I don't care to do, but you know, I could. Um, I could also be in the field. I personally want to work a little bit in the field and then go into policy and try to work on our education system, which is failing, I feel like, our children in a lot of ways. And I feel like people are making decisions about our policies and about education that have not been in the classroom, that have not been in these school systems, that we make Mm. these policies at these federal levels and it breaks down at the state and local levels. Right. And I feel like it would be a disservice for me to jump right into Washington without having been in Newark. Of course. So, what was your question? Has has this exceeded (laughs) Exceeded your expectations expectations or underwhelmed them? It has exceeded my expectations. Excellent. Okay. And so you kind of already answered a little bit of what you want to do afterwards, but what is some of the good that you see yourself doing with this degree um, or moving forward after you're done this program? Um, Definitely. I tried to stay away from this front for several reasons. But I think as an African-American, I think it is very important to understand the African-American experience in terms of positive ways that we develop and grow as African-Americans in this country. Because I think such a negative spin and stereotypes have been perpetuated through research. I think there needs to be a change. So that's one way I plan to contribute and look uh, and investigate. Otherwise, like I said, I do plan to go to start kind of in the fields, in the schools, and then eventually work my way up to policy and Washington somehow. We'll see. Other than that, I don't know down the line where I will end up, but it will take years to do those things. That's yeah, no, awesome. of course. Love that. Yeah. Thank you for your candidness and your just coming to speak with us. I don't think a lot of people really understand what all goes into earning that PhD. I certainly don't know. I had a I have an aunt who's in um, psychology and she got her PhD. I just knew that she was working on her dissertation and things like that. Uh, that's really all I know. I don't know everything that goes into it, you know, what interns you have to do afterwards. So um, thank you for sharing a little bit of that you yeah. know, with us today. Absolutely. It gives a different insight to things that we could, that maybe we're not seeing that go maybe behind closed doors, uh, especially what you said as far as like things going from the federal level down to local and state. Because uh, it really is important to get, like you said, a very good perspective of it before you get there, too. So I think that you, I think that's a great strategy as far as getting to the top, uh, as far as you know where they plan out all these policies and things that go into place for our students that are coming through the systems nowadays. You know, it's, it's definitely different than when we were growing up, you know, and it's quickly, in my opinion, expanding and growing from whether it's a social perspective or it's an academic perspective as well. Kids are getting smarter. 
So no doubt. And, and so in addition to speaking about your PhD experience, we also wanted to have a woman on the podcast today because yes. we've had previously a couple <laughs> topics where, you know, we're just three young black men, but we're talking about things that affect men and women. So we didn't want to be speaking out of turn when we're having these discussions and not have a woman in the room to sort of give us that other perspective. So what we were sort of speaking about today is what kinds of traditional gender roles have been perpetuated in the past and do millennials and people who are living today, do they abide by those or are they not as important to people in our sort of age range or demographic? Anybody want to sort of jump off with that? Or? You can start with the, the guest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a really good question. Gender roles, well, I think we have to define like what our expectations are and I think one of the things that's really important when we think about gender roles is our relationships with our parents are kind of our first exposure to gender roles, whether you come from a single parent household or you have both parents in the house. And if you come from a mostly generational home, you see kind of the shift in these roles as you go throughout different years. Um, so I think the expectations that we set very much start from our familiar relationships. Totally. And then different socializing ages, like in schools, how do we see people interact, girls versus boys, like when we really start off, it's like, ew, boys are nasty, <laughs> girls are gross, ew, he digs up his nose, his face, his hand, you know what I mean? Um, and then we grow up, and it's like, nah, maybe they might be interested. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, a little I'm bit. I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> um, and then when we get older, you know, we like get into college or the you know, get a bit older and we start to explore our identities a bit, our sexuality. How do we play those roles and what do they look like for us versus maybe what they look like for our parents mm -hmm. um, as we come... Like, I know me growing up as a girl versus watching how my brother was taught, the expectation that would place on him. Like, as a guy, there are certain things you can and cannot do. There are certain predicaments that you can and cannot put yourself in because they're compromising. As a woman... And it almost plays back into how we started this segment with Morgan Freeman. Like, never put yourself in a position where you can be taken advantage of, right? So no. don't put yourself in that victim position, man. Don't put yourself in that aggressive position. Mm -hmm. So just those different, watching that sort of dichotomy happen in my house just really, I think, played a role into even how I envision it. I liked how you brought up, like, sexuality because I feel like that's part of uh, our society now. That's a big part that people are trying to get more attention on because... People have certain ideas of what their sexuality is or, you know, following what they've what they say they like and things of that nature. And it crosses the line sometimes of with the gender role. You know, if, a, for example, a gay man, you know, he's a gay man. If he says he's gay, he can't be like, I guess, quote unquote, like a Superman. What people envision when they think of like a man that does like mows the lawn and, you know, does all that stuff that's considered to be of masculinity now because he's of a sexuality. Do you agree with that? Do I agree that, that he can't be? That can't be right. Like when you do that, when you cross certain lines from a sexuality, from your own personal sexuality standpoint. That means you cannot. Like that means that you're crossing the line from a gender role perspective as well. Well, I think that's a bias more than it is because gender um, and sexuality are not necessarily the same. And I think I think what you're talking about is the expectation that people have for that man. Right. So that gay right. man could be any man he wants to be. Right. Right. He could be the very masculine Superman or he could be the Clark Kent or he could be, yeah. you know, like yeah. whoever. Right. Right. Um, right. The narrative he chooses to write is independent of his sexuality, I think he would say. Right. In terms of gender, I, I don't know. I think maybe like as a girl and like a lesbian couple, like 
I say this, I'm using this term because this is what people would use, but right. like a dyke versus what, whatever you would call the other girl in the relationship. A femme, I guess, is the term. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> sure. I, I don't want to, I will yeah. speak to speak the fact that I'm ignorant. Right, right, but, yeah, right. but so there are different expectations that you would see when you look at this girl, there are things you automatically assume. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Same thing with a guy and a girl in a relationship. Like mm-hmm. when you're watching them in their relationship, you're thinking, um, no, he can't treat her like that, or she can't say that to him, or even like when it comes to matters of like putting your hands on people like me, mm-hmm. I can be a bit aggressive, and so I'll probably put my hands on you. But don't you put your hands on me, like, <laughs> well, don't, don't, you know what I'm saying? Hey, like, well, see, it's but it's a double <laughs> yeah, standard, yeah. Sure, right. you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So I don't know what expectations we do have as millennials. Yes. So, uh, and I wanted to get back to the thing that you were saying about when it starts, you know, familial, right? So mm-hmm. I was watching, I think it was an episode of Blackish or something like that. And in one of the episodes, it was showed how the mother sort of made the plate for the father and the family. And then this woman's mother, or it was Rainbow. So Tracy Ellis Ross plays the character of Rainbow. She made a plate for Andre, yeah. Anthony Anderson's character. And then her mom was like, I didn't raise you to be that like that and like wait after a man. But she had seen this from, you know, Dre's mother and things like that. So there was sort of a difference between does that make you weak if you're trying to, you know, basically trying to cater to your, your husband or man? Or does that just something that you do to show appreciation and love for another? And, and ultimately, I think it comes down to a matter of choice. If you're choosing to do this out of love and caring for your significant other, then I think that's, you know, great. I don't think you should have to feel bound by sort of draconian, you know, rules or things like that that say because you're the wife, you have to do X, Y, and Z. I think you should want to do those things because they're the type of things that show that you love and care for the the person that you're with. Now, also for me, I've been raised to always hold the door for a woman. If you're taking her out on a date, um, you know, pay for, you know, the date, ask them if they, you know, they're okay, if they need anything, you know, from you while you're, you know, going out to the store, what have you. So these are things that are sort of passed down that I just don't think it's, I don't see the harm in, you know, doing things for another person that are nice and kind, even if they are sort of steeped in tradition that say the man do this and and the woman does that. Now, that might be sort of old school, but I think it's just a way of um, just showing respect for the person that you're with. I think it just means it goes back to I think we kind of talked about it a couple of weeks ago as far as where it comes down to like when it was in relation to race is like we shouldn't be defined by gender roles. Like if you want to do something as an individual that you feel is necessary, you know, when you're with your partner, whoever you're going out with at the time, then that's what you do. And that's individual to who you are, you know, regardless of if, if that's something that other people are doing or not. You know, likewise, I uh, was raised like that as well, where. Um, just trying to be as courteous and as respectful to women as possible. There were, there were some things that I saw when I was younger throughout my family. Sometimes that I didn't, I thought maybe my female family members, you know, could have been treated a little bit more better. It's not saying that we were being disrespected, but it just made me want to always make sure that, you know, my woman or whoever I'm dating is catered to. And even now, even just my female friends, you know, um, we were just talking before we started this and, you know, Diamond mentioned that. We, when we all go out and hang out, you know, myself, Kyler, and uh, Dwight, who's not here today, we, you know, still do things that are chivalrous, uh, if you will, where we hold the door, we'll, you know, open the car door, you know, for uh, for our friend Diamond here, and it's not anything out of the way for us. But but speaking to that, like what we were talking about earlier, so Diamond, do you feel that in a man doing that for you in a relationship type or or in a romantic sense, 
are you sort of opposed to that because you're an independent woman or how, how do you feel about someone doing that for you in a romantic setting versus a, a friend doing that? I'm not opposed to it, but I question it when a guy that I'm dating versus a friend does things like that, does chivalrous things like that. Not because I don't believe in chivalry, I do believe, I believe in respect and all of that, but I think it's important for me to establish my independence and say like, okay, know that I can do this stuff on my own, like you're here by choice, not because I need you, because I don't. Mm, Like, I just feel that for me... It's important to know that, but then I also recognize how hypocritical that can be because I think everybody needs to feel needed. And I think when you make somebody feel like a choice, you end up treating them like a choice. Mm. Um, but that's not what you asked me. But anyway. Um, nah, I preach. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Snaps. But that's, that's just something I'm, you know, I'm a big reflect, like I believe in self-reflection and all those things. So I'm always thinking about stuff like that and how I treat people and things like that. But um, expectations in terms of my male friends versus male partners, I think are somewhat different um, because I feel like with friends, I don't have the restrictions and questions that I would have with a significant other. Because you don't place that much expectation. Or, think, or not even that, just the ulterior motive, right? Like you might yes. be thinking that a romantic yes. partner might just be doing these type of things yes. to get in your pants That's or what point. have you. Whereas a friend, we've already established a friendship. Right. You're just doing this and we're hanging out. You know, right. it, there's nothing, you know, insidious about it. Right. There's nothing expected in return or anything. Right. 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 So, so to that point that you were saying that you want to establish that I don't need anything from you do you think that type of not to say that you know you're in the wrong or anything like that but women nowadays are becoming more independent and things like that does that sort of push a man away who might want to feel needed or try and do these things for or might want to feel like he wants to be the provider so to speak like from every aspect because i've seen people that do that too like they're very particular not just from a financial standpoint but just want to feel like they're like kyla said taking care of the woman um, it's funny, I was at an event several weeks ago and we talked about this. And yes, God, I think that you all do want to feel needed. And I think we've kind of advanced and changed the narrative of what a woman should be, but stagnated on what a man should be mm-hmm. or how he should respect or expect a woman to be. And it doesn't necessarily take away from your masculinity if a woman is secure. And I think when we think about these generals that we have set and these expectations, if we think about traditionally where they have come from and that like pre the wars when men had to work, right? And women were at home with the children versus in the war where women had to enter the workforce and now they had to become independent and do for themselves. And then we kind of shoved women back when men came back from war and was like, okay, no, but now, okay, this is who I've been, this working and independent person providing for my family. Now you want me to step and retreat from that role and then sort of as we progress as a society, we were like, okay, no, women can stand on their own two feet. They can be in the, they can be in the workforce. They can raise their children. They don't have to be a stay-at-home mom. And we didn't necessarily say, okay, men, here's your position, and here's your position in supporting. I think we need to recognize that these relationships are partnerships, and nobody is any less for being one thing versus another. Right. I think that thing is creating a stigma, and kind of just, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just going back to what I said before, is just everybody needs to think of it as them being their own individual. Because I think when you think like that, instead of thinking you self comparative to what, you know, you're seeing on TV, you know, I think that has a lot of influence now too. Um, You know, I mean, it is changing a little bit from what we have on like, you know, media standpoint, but it's still, for the most part, you know, you're seeing traditional things every time you go on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, you know, whatever, IG, things like that. And I think, again, just keep everything to yourself as an individual and compare yourself to that. Don't compare yourself to what everybody else is doing. Because that's just going to create more and more difference and more and more, I guess, an internal battle if, as far as saying, okay, what's stamping my masculinity or 
what's stamping my uh, femininity. Am I saying that right? Yes. So, you know. so, so Brandon, I have a question for you. Yeah. So, when you're looking for a mate, mm-hmm. what type of things do you look for in a woman? And do you think those things are considered traditionally feminine? I mean, top three things. If I just let me just say top three things that I look for personally, definitely intelligence. You know, I like to have conversations, be able to discuss things with you from not just what things are may seem. You know, just, you know, I like to have deep discussions about things. So whether that be us or whether it be things that are going on in the world around us. Two is definitely understanding and def- a sense of wanting to help people with that understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, so understanding that people go through, through different things, but you're willing to help them, people that you love around you, okay. regardless of the situation. And then three, lastly, would just be effort, I guess. Effort, like, you know, or resilient, resiliency, I'll say. Resiliency. Okay. You know, being able to look at different situations and say, okay, I can exceed beyond that. Now, I think from those three things, the only thing that maybe has anything maybe to do with, you know, I guess gender roles would be maybe resiliency. Like, what are you resilient on as a female maybe sometimes? Okay. Now, I'll go to the things that are traditional. Like, okay, can the woman, can she cook? It's a bonus. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be with somebody, to be honest with you, that doesn't have any clue what they're doing in the kitchen. Sure. But that's only because I know my way around the kitchen somewhat. You know, it's not like I'm, I never cook or I've never cooked before in my life and I don't know my way around it. No, no. Um, so I say that to say that I have my own expectations for myself. So that, so therefore I place that expectation on my partner. Okay, that's fair. I, I would say well, when I'm, you know, in terms of myself, nowadays I think guys and girls who are sort of or in our age range, like myself, Dwight, Brandon, we all live on our own. So we have to cook, clean, do, you know, laundry, et cetera, these things for ourselves. So it's not like back in, I don't know, the, 40s, the 50s, 50s, 50s yeah. where we was already hitched at like 20. We already had a couple kids. <laughs> I'm, I mean, went back to the, I'm working, <laughs> to the terms. I'm, I'm working in the mills. I'm working at the, at the, um, you all know, the GM factory yeah. in the Midwest all day. And then the, the wife is taking care of the kids, et cetera. Right. Like we're still young, you know, singles basically. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that I'm able to do these things for myself already, I just want a, a partner that's going to be able to pull their own weight or, right. you know, the fact that, you know, if she can, she needs to be able to be able to feed herself shouldn't be eating out five times a week she needs to be able to do her own laundry she needs to be able to do like clean up around the house her place shouldn't be a sty like these things are expected of you because as a human in society you need to be able to take care of yourself you can't take care of yourself you can't take care of me or you can't take care of no kids right so these are why these certain things i think are still looked for, even though it's not a prerequisite, right? but it's something that you should be able to do as a grown adult human being in this world. And I think that that's the difference now because, like you said, we're on our own now, especially to like the, to all the young singles out there. When you're on your own, you have to become, you learn to become self-reliant, whereas back in the day, like Hollow was insinuating after the 40s and 50s, sure. it was more of an expectation, like I'm out all day working right. and you're already getting married at such an early age, so you know, you, it, it was part- a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. You know, we, right. we both had our parts to play and it made it fit together. You know, it made a well-oiled machine. Now, I want to say back then there were some, you know, women were basically second-class citizens, which is foul. Right. But, you know, it wasn't a perfect system, but it was, it, you know, people had certain roles that sort of fit into. But now we've evolved past that. So we have, you know, again, we have some work to do on sort of establishing new relationships. So what about you, Diamond? Do you have anything, I guess, qualities that you look for that, you know, maybe could kind of go in, intertwine with like a gender like, role or expectation? 
Wow, that was so that, that pop. Yeah, yeah I, was like, like, <laughs> I wasn't I was going like, to say oh, that. Okay. Kyle said, nah, I, even, "I was like, wait, wait right. <laughs> let him know." Um, no. Uh, so faith is my top, um, mm. because that's the essence okay. of who I am. That is my core. Mm-hmm. Everything that I am comes from my faith. Um, after that, you have to be ambitious. Um, and let me say, like, it's not enough for me for you to have potential. With no plan mm. and no mm. motion. No doubt. Like, if you, it's okay. I don't mind if I write, like, right now I'm working trying to get it together before I finish school, before I go back, whatever. I don't mind, but be doing something towards that goal. Right, right. It's one thing for you to tell me I'm doing it or this is my plan, this is where I want to be, and you sitting on your mom's couch. Yeah. Mm. I got a problem with that. Mm. Especially now when I'm getting up and doing something on my grind, trying to earn the highest degree attainable. And working towards my goals on the daily, and you're sitting. No, that's that's not gonna fly. Right. So you have to be ambitious, and you have to be potential with purpose and play, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond that, you have to be a fighter. Like you got to be patient because I'm a I'm a very guarded person, and I think it takes tenacity and it takes your true commitment. And almost like your resilience, like you were talking about, because yeah. I'm probably gonna shoot you down a couple of times, <laughs> just just because I want to know that you're gonna fight for this. It's a, it's, you gotta change. present the challenge. It's, it's a challenge, you know. Yeah, that's what it is. But I, yeah. yes, yes, I'll leave that alone. But yes. So in terms of um, tradition, I don't know that I have any. Like anything that you really can say, like yo, this is a make or break for me. Like that's a, I guess a, a traditional. You've you've got to work. Like that's non-negotiable. That's probably the most traditional thing that happens. Like, I'm not okay with men who are okay take, I don't want to say taking advantage of, or who are okay with a woman going to work every day, and you're doing nothing. No, yeah, absolutely. Like, how is that feasible? That doesn't work. I feel that. Now, what about this? I got one for you. What about when you have kids? Like, what? who should... Or they don't one? even have to have kids. What if he's no, a homemaker? No, no, uh, no, but I'm saying... <laughs> I'm saying... Uh, if you I'm have, saying, keep that same energy, Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> That's doing something, homemaker. right? If, if you can, if let's say y'all have kids, for example, and it comes down to, okay, who's going to stay home with the kids? Would you say it's, it's definitely should be you or, you know, is it definitely going to be a situation where you're like, okay, maybe we can talk about having the, your future husband stay at home? Okay, this is one of those moments where I think I'm too specialized in my knowledge. Okay. But, yes, I should definitely stay home okay. because of the attachment that needs to be built between a mother and a child, especially after you just have a child. Yes, I need to stay home. Also, I think... Culture has already told us who needs to stay home because women get way more time off than a man will when it comes to maternity leave. Mm. Um, so are they, are they changing that though? Like, cause I, I don't. Think, I, don't I think we Bank of America well, really we just had something. They, they, something that came out. Don't be out on where we work at, man. I'm just playing. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know where I'm, where the location is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they was they had some policy uh, announcement. I think it was last year. In regards to that, mm-hmm. which is what Kyle was uh, referring to, but I don't, I don't, I don't recall exactly what it said, but at the time, but I think they became equivalent. But like yeah. you were saying, women get more maternal leave mm-hmm. on average. But I do think, I definitely think the man should have the time and spend the time in terms of who actually takes more time. I think a woman should just because of that attachment and secure base that needs to be built. But I do think the father should definitely put in. A good deal of effort and take the time to be with the child as well. That's fair. That's good, good. Good stuff, good stuff. I'm glad we, glad we had this discussion. Um, Thank you for. Yeah. We really needed a woman's touch. You steered us in a lot of right directions. 
and, and gave us some great answers and feedback. So I wish you would have been here for the last episode, the last episode too. Though. This, this, this doesn't have to be goodbye forever. Yeah, no, no <laughs> I'm saying no, but I'm saying I wish we could revisit that conversation about uh, like the Is This Your King episode no, at some point. Possibly. Because I think that would be good to have a woman on the show to talk about it. But we're going to take a quick break and then come back to y'all. Type of risk, boy, because this boy been throwing that D like rich boy, you miss boy. Your numbers don't add up on the blow. That was 10 years ago. If you know, you know. Yeah. If you know, you know. All right, we're back. This is the Yuppie Noir Podcast. Uh, we just got done talking about some really good stuff with our special guest here, Diamond Carr. Appreciate you giving your insight as usual. You know, great person to speak with. We're going to jump into the sports realm of it now, and we're going to talk about LeBron. You know, he actually just LeBron won last night. <laughs> Here we go. He just won last night. You know, they just closed out the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. I believe it was 87 to 79, and LeBron had a crazy stat line. Uh, was 35, 15, and 9. 15, and 9, yeah. I yeah. mean, and now we're going to jump in and see what we can say about LeBron now because I think that's the – Revolving door, that's our that's what our discussion revolves around. This so. is his eighth trip to the finals in consecutive year, eight straight years. He's been to he's been to nine. He's been to nine total. This and, is gonna be and, nine. And yeah. this is his twelfth year straight in the Eastern Conference Final, correct? I believe. I think I saw something like that. Before. Yeah, well yeah, right, 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 because he was talking about like how he was uh, from 07. Right. This dominance is unprecedented. And also the team that he's bringing is no shade to them, no offense. He's dragging carcasses to the NBA Finals. <laughs> bro, on everything. Somebody said on Twitter, bro, this is this is mad disrespectful. They said, they said, yo, LeBron really brought Defer High to the Finals. On every, I saw I was, that. Yeah, I mean, yo, I, Miles, yo, if y'all not, click, not the team that I was on, they talking about nowadays. Because if y'all clicked up with LeBron, y'all would have got y'all would have got <laughs> to the chip too. Bro, <laughs> on everything, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant basketball player. Um, he has a lot of diff- he's added to his game every year. The way that he takes care of his body is this is his 15th season in the NBA. He's 33 years old. You shouldn't be able to still be getting up like this, getting up and down the floor. He played 48 minutes last played night. Basically the whole game. The, the entire yeah, game. So. It's absurd. I mean, it, just the level of greatness is really impressive, and especially with the scrutiny. And every He has the weight of the world on his shoulders, people constantly scrutinizing him and trying to take his accomplishments away from him. Hats off to him, man. That's the best basketball player I've ever seen. You got something to say, David? I'm so amused by Kyle's enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is this man's favorite ball player. I know. He, look, at the end of the day, we all know with me, Kyle like get together. If there's a uh, Cleveland game on, we're gonna turn to it, and you know, Kyle's gonna be singing this man's praises. And it, I mean, it's well, de- it's well deserved. He does a lot of great things from not just a basketball player perspective. I think him as an individual, you know, affecting change outside the, the arena is big too. So, I mean, like, shout-outs to him. Now, me personally, you know, I said we always go back and forth with this me whole— Me personally, myself? Me personally, myself. We always go back with this with this whole, you know, is he the greatest of all time discussion. And, I mean, I'm not ready to give it to him. I mean, what I'm thinking is going to be three for nine for him is— I don't know if I can really hold that high. Like, the fact that he's getting to nine finals definitely right. speaks, so, it, speaks so its own. My counterpoint to that is you can't fault the man for getting there. Like, Jordan didn't even get there sometimes. Like, he got bounced in the second round or first round of the playoffs. Like, 
just because you didn't get there, you still that's a playoff loss to you. So we're faulting LeBron for getting further and then losing in the finals. Then we're giving the scrutiny to Jordan for not even getting there. Right, but my thing is though, if you're gonna get there, if you, if for me personally, when you talk about the goat, like you're getting there and finishing the job. It's not no okay, I got to the finals, cool, that's great. Like, I get the fact that he had to drag, like, this team in the 07 team, he had to drag to the finals. There's no reason why. Also, Kevin Love didn't play last night. Right, exactly. That's another good thing, too, to bring up, is he dragged those teams to the finals. I will give him credit for that. I, I won't say anything against that. But the fact of the matter is, when you get there, you got to be the one to close it out sometimes. Now, I'm not, now granted, Jordan's teams were, some of Jordan's teams were better. And he never played a team like the Golden State teams that LeBron has had to play in the last few years. I agree with that. But what about those times? What about the Dallas Mavericks? There's what, no, he had no, there's no What, what, what about that Spurs team that he had, that beat him? That, that's an all-time team. Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili. LeBron never played so, nobody that good. What? LeBron never played a team like that Spurs team. That Spurs team would have would have clapped Jordan. Are you, on are you serious? On Mamas. Are you serious? The only advantage I've given them is Tim Duncan on that team. They would over the Bulls. Over the Bulls, they would have waxed them. Really? That's, that Spurs team was really good. If you don't recall, they know they, they, they were no, very, They were all they, they were good. they were good. They were all they were really good. And, and Kawhi would have put Jordan on clamps. No, shackles. I don't know about all that. Shackles. I don't know about all that. Why are you touching my ankles, bull? <laughs> That's how Kawhi would have had Jordan. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like I said, it's up for the big. Cause, and then we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We were like, yo, are you going to take away credit from Jordan? Because, like, we were talking and saying that, okay, Jordan was beating the Jazz right. and the Sonics and whoever it was, else. Was there was the, no two, two guards that good like that. And his, he, he was he was beating up on Clyde the Glide Drexler. Okay, bro, bro, you can't. Again, that was the, that was and, the best Le, of his time. And LeBron time. has to play Kawhi's, Kevin Durant's. Paul George. You can't take away from the fact that this man had to play whoever he played against. You can't control you're, you're, that. You're right. You're right. So that's why we shouldn't compare errors, right? Right. You're right. Okay, you can okay. say that. So LeBron uh, is the best of this generation. I'll say that. He's the best of this generation. Without question. He's the best of this generation. I'll say that. I can say that. But as far as giving him best of all time, you know, and I think that as Kyler alluded to, you can't really say who's the greatest of all time because you had so many different errors where, again, Jordan, he was just playing against whoever was in front of him. You can't take away the fact that, okay, of course you're going to sit him down and say, okay, Clyde is not better than Kevin Durant. Obviously, he's not because, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves and the game has evolved as well. So, I mean, but shout-out to LeBron for doing what he's doing. You know, tonight we're going to see who he's going to play for the uh, finals. Um, me personally, I think Golden State still got it in him. We'll see if the Rockets can hold it down at home. Well, what's your thoughts on it, Kyle? I really wish the Rockets had their full arsenal. Chris Paul is questionable as of right now with a hammy. I probably don't think he'll play because those hamstring injuries are really tricky, and you don't want to exacerbate it and then um, uh, just make it worse for he, – because he's a free agent at the end of the season, so he needs to make sure he secures his bag. So. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Houston has enough firepower to beat him. Although they were up in that last game, and then Clay just decided to go off. Yeah. But um, Harden needs to step up big time. So they try to bring up, they try to say uh, in the interviews with I think it was Curry and Durant, they were like, "Yo, so is this like Clay from two years ago when y'all beat the Thunder?" And they were trying to kind of bring back the reminiscence of how the Thunder gave up the three-one. Oh, okay. Lead. It's possible. And he was like, he was like, yo, he was like, yo, next, next question. You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> I think we forgot about that. We put that behind us. No doubt. <laughs> but um, LeBron James, just excellence again. Oh, the 
Oh, don't you owe somebody? Oh, okay, no, we're not. Yeah, we, have, we don't, bro. Wait, anyway. bro, listen, bro. You wait. Anyway, what are you anyway. talking about? Because <laughs> this man was really, no, doubt, he you, was really doubting like, LeBron James, and he was like, bro. I don't know if this yeah. guy is again. People in our group chat was like, oh, the Celtics, no. they just way better coach. They they going to get LeBron up out of here. It's over man. for his run. I know and LeBron. Then, we always so, know LeBron was going to get his buckets. It was about what his supporting cast was going to give him. And, and, and I didn't think the okay. supporting cast had okay. anything in him. So 19 from Jeff Green. No, I get you. That's Thank cool. You. Yo, Shout out to him. Nobody expected this shit. Just one guy. Yo, you just need and one guy. And the Celtics were missing. And the Celtics were missing. That's fair. Missing wide open shots. That's, that's fair. So that's, that's fair. Some, a lot of things played. I'm not going to say that. Look, I'm not taking any credit from LeBron. Sorry. There were some things that did play in his advantage. From his team and also the other team's perspective, but shout outs to him for getting the win. No doubt. LeBron was gonna get his regardless. Let me just put that out there. We all knew that. Also, another thing I want to bring up, the kid Jason Tatum is gonna be a star in this league for a long time. Played excellent. Um as a rookie going toe-to-toe with LeBron James, a 15-year vet. Very impressive. He has a bright future. Yeah, but, that, that dunk was crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. And he bumped him. Um, <laughs> nobody's scared, right? Yeah. We're not gonna get <laughs> You got anything else? <laughs> Diamond, you want to add anything to that, uh, to what we were just talking about? Like anything? I know you don't watch basketball like that, but do you, you know, I know you know who LeBron James is. Do you have anything to say about him? No, I just can't believe he's been 15 years. Yes. Yeah. I Since he was 18, yep. Jeez. Well, no, I have nothing to add. Okay. Very amusing conversation. <laughs> well, th- we want to thank you again. It's been fantastic having you here. Definitely might have you back in the future. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely I'm hedging my bet. I'm hedging my bet. <laughs> definitely have you back in the future. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate you. Appreciate you. you. Your perspective means a lot to this podcast. Do you have a quote for the to wrap up? Yeah, that's what I was gonna that's what I was gonna just close it out with. Do you have anything that you maybe live by a diamond that kinda gets you through that program that you're finishing up? It's a scripture. Okay, you can Ooh, see okay. You, you can hit us with that Take too. Us to that works. Uh, Romans 8 and 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, that are called according to his purpose. Love it. Simple, just simple, godly. I love it. And all right, I got one. Okay. Hard times don't create heroes. It is during the hard times when the hero within us is revealed. Love that. I like that. And I have a quote that kind of goes back to what Diamond was talking about earlier. A goal without a plan is just a wish. So... If you don't have the plan and the strategy behind the goals that you want to achieve, then you might as well just be, you know, wishing upon a star. So make sure you put those plans into actions in order to uh, move toward your goals and accomplish. I actually have one more. I want. I actually stumbled upon. Okay. All right. Double up. Double up. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. The decisions that you make definitely are going to surround you, not your circumstances. You know, more times you can put that in the forefront, easier things are going to be for you when those tough times come. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Yuppie Noir. Signing off. Matter in the club. All the ballers showing love. Can you party with a thug? I'm just trying to show you love.